As we uh, come to look at this passage, we uh, pray with me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and we ask that you give us insight, understanding, give us ears to hear, minds to understand and hearts that are open to respond to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been around our church for a while, uh, you've probably heard us talk about being disciple-making disciples. We're disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Uh, that's what we are. And um, just uh, next slide, thanks, Michael. Here we are. That, that's what we are. That's what we're on about. We, wanna, we want to be disciples of Jesus, and we want to help others to become disciples of Jesus. That's our mission. That's our purpose, both as individuals and as a church. And of course, this is based on, um, on Jesus' final words to his disciples, as it's recorded in, in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew 28. Yeah, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so we want to make disciples. And there's two parts to that. It involves helping people to become disciples, to baptise them, to bring them into being disciples, and then helping people to grow as disciples, teaching them uh, to obey everything Jesus has commanded us. So we want to make disciples. We want to help people to become disciples. But how do we do that? How does that happen? How do we go about helping people to become a disciple of Jesus? What, what do we do? What, what should we do? Should we uh, go knocking on doors and, and asking people if they're a disciple of Jesus and if they're not, would they like to become a disciple of Jesus? Maybe that's what we should do. Or, or should we letterbox drop a, a, a tract or, or a Bible and, um, so people can, can read the Bible for themselves and, and they can become a disciple of Jesus? Should we distribute advertising for our church and, and if people get the advertising, they come to church, then they'll presumably find out what it is to be a disciple of Jesus and they'll become one. Should we advertise online through Facebook and other social media? Or maybe personal invitation. You know, I'm a Christian, I go to church, would you like to come to church too? Or maybe going to church is kind of the wrong starting point. Maybe we should invite people to a, to a Bible study or growth group. And, or maybe invite them to a social event and they'll have such a good time at a social event, they'll want to come to another social event and... and and then hopefully as they, they, um, you know, they, they see what great people we are or maybe more importantly they see the work of God and his love at work in us and through us and, and they want to find out more about what makes us tick and maybe they'll be open to coming to explaining Christianity and they'll hear about what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. Or maybe that's all just too complicated. Maybe we should just get out there, put on a Jesus t-shirt and stand on the street corners and start preaching. Or maybe we should use the media. Maybe it's TV or radio or online campaigns or billboards. Or There's all sorts of strategies, all sorts of ways that we can help people to become disciples of Jesus. What should we do? What, what can we do? If we're disciples of Jesus, who make disciples of Jesus, well, what can we do? How, how do we do that? The Apostle Paul uh, didn't live and minister within 21st century Australia. Uh, he didn't have a website or a Facebook page or TV or radio. Life would have been pretty different for, uh, for Paul in lots of ways. 
And yet actually this part of God's word, which we're looking at this morning, which shows us the beginning of Paul's ministry at Philippi, this actually has some really valuable and important lessons for us to teach us about how we can go about the mission of making disciples. We can learn a lot from Paul's example. Now, you may be thinking, well, gee, Jono, that, that's, that's not for me. I, I'm not a disciple maker. That's, um, that's your job, Jono. You're the preacher. If that's going through your head right now, and you're tempted to think, well, today's sermon's not really for me, and you're about to switch off and put the screensaver on. If that's you, stop. This is for you. That is, if you are a disciple of Jesus, then you are a disciple maker. Jesus made that pretty clear in in Matthew 28. And we all have a role to play. And actually, as we'll see, it's not simply about preaching. So look with me. What, What can we learn from these few verses about Paul in Philippi? Just to remind you where we're up to. Uh, This is uh, Paul's second missionary journey. He started out uh, from Antioch and he he decided he wanted to go and revisit the towns that he'd been on his first missionary journey. And so he he wanted to encourage and strengthen them. And so he visited Derby and Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. And then he headed northwest into new territory. And he ended up at Troas where he received a vision of a man from Macedonia asking for them to come and help him. And so they concluded God's calling us to, to, uh, to preach the gospel to the people of Macedonia. And so that's where they head. Now, Macedonia is a big place. Where to start? Well, they chose Philippi. Look at verse 11. It'll come up on the screen also or in your Bibles. It says, From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. Now, why, why Philippi? Well, in one sense, it was, it was close. It was on the edge of Macedonia. It's one of the first places that they, uh, they came to. So, you know, in that sense, it's an obvious choice. Neapolis was the, uh, was the port that served the city of Philippi. But maybe there was more to their thinking. You see, Luke, who writes the book of Acts, he records that Philippi was a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. Maybe this was a a strategic place to start their their Macedonian ministry. Maybe they thought, well, if they can impact that leading city, that'll have an effect and, and it'll spread out and they'll impact the whole district. I think it's fair to say that in choosing Philippi, that they were being strategic. They had a strategy you know, that makes sense. Uh, same way as just as a, as a missionary, if they're wanting to, to impact a particular nation uh, with the gospel, they, they might go to the universities and work amongst students and minister the gospel to them because if reaching students is often seen as a strategic way to, to reach the leaders of, of tomorrow in that nation, it's, that's having a strategy. Or if a church wants to, to reach a whole suburb, then it's strategic to minister in places that connect with the, the people of the suburb, like schools or sporting clubs. These places are kind of strategic leading places in that community. There's a place for a strategy. It's, it's good to think about being strategic. And I think it's the first thing we can learn from Paul's example here. Have, have a strategy. So they choose Philippi, this leading city of the district. Well, what do they do next? They... Start preaching on the street corners. 
handing out tracts. They'd hire a hall and put up posters and have an evangelistic rock concert. Paul on vocals, Timothy on guitar, Silas on drums, Luke on, on bass, Paul and his apostolic band. <laughs> They're in this leading city. God has called them there. How are they going to reach it? What are they going to do? Well, we read what they did, verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Now, I think what they're doing here is, is they're going for low-hanging fruit, if I can put it that way. You're familiar with that phrase? Now, if you've got to pick, a, pick the fruit on a tree, well, you start with the, the fruit that you can reach. You make a start where, where you can. For some reason, they were expecting to find a place of prayer at the river outside the city gate. Why, were they, why did they expect that? I don't, I don't know. We're not told. Maybe that was common practice in Gentile cities, to, to have a place of prayer at the river outside the city gate. In one sense, it doesn't really matter why they expected that. What is significant is that they had a plan. They thought, well, where might we find some people who are interested in God? I know, let's go to the place of prayer. Let's go there on the Sabbath where people will, will be there. It's even better if there are people. They have a plan and they begin where they, where they could. They made a start with low-hanging fruit. And this, the same should be true for us. I mean, here we are, we want to reach the 18,000 or so people in the, in the area around us with the gospel. How do we do that? Well, we start where we can, with our neighbours, our family members, our friends, the acquaintance from work the, or from sport or, or from church or, or school or that community group. We start where we can, start with, with low-hanging fruit. So Paul's great gospel mission strategy, go to the leading city, Go to the place in that city where there'll be God-fearers and then boom, it'll all take off and it'll go viral and there'll be hundreds and thousands of people get converted and the whole revival will, will break out and spread throughout the whole of Macedonia. Well, I have no idea if that's what was going through Paul's head, if that's what they were thinking. Maybe that's what we'd, we'd read next if this was a church growth strategist best-selling book about you know all, the, all that they did and, and said. But notice what actually happened when they got to the place of prayer at the river outside the city gate. They found some women who had gathered there. Maybe they were there to, to pray or to wash or to fetch water or to do all of those things. But notice what Paul and his companions did and didn't do. They didn't say, well, chief, this is hopeless. Where are the men? Where are the, where are the leaders and officials of the city? This is not really working out, isn't it? Better try somewhere else. They, they didn't say that. That is, they weren't locked into their strategy. Instead, they began ministering to the people that God put before them. They, verse 13, it says, they sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. They spoke to them. And the conversation must have, um, must have gone beyond, you know, what a nice spot it was here by the river and how much rain have we had or haven't had. And it must have gone beyond that. What they spoke about was the message of the gospel. And we know that because, uh, as we'll see, Lydia responded to Paul's message and became a believer. Now, we may sort of take this for granted, but I think something else is significant here, and that is that they spoke to them. And remember that they were, they were there on a mission. They were there to help the people of Macedonia. And the way to help them was to speak to them. 
to us to tell them the gospel message, to tell them of Jesus, tell them of his death for their sin, of his rising for forgiveness and life. And that's what they did. They spoke the gospel to them. They didn't just offer to help them with washing their clothes or whatever it was. They spoke to them. And I think there's a lesson here for us. Sometimes we can, as we try to help others to, to come to know Jesus, I think we can, we think, well, we, we need to move slowly. Now, we can't just tell someone the gospel. We can't just invite them to church. We can't just invite them to explaining Christianity. We need to, no, we need to invite them to the, the blokes and bikes event or the ladies dessert night. That, that, that's an easier sell. And, and if they come to those things, well, well maybe they'll, they'll get more comfortable with, with church and they'll just kind of slide into church life. Or, or maybe we think there's, there's actually there's a big gap between them and, and, and the gospel and, and so we need to build a bridge through friendship or through social events and the like in the hope that those bridges will make it easy for them at some point to hear the message of the gospel. I think Paul's ministry in Philippi is perhaps a helpful corrective for us. There is a place for bridge building. There is, you know, building friendship is a, is a good thing. Social events are good things. They, they can build trust. They can give people an opportunity to, to, to see the impact of the gospel in our lives. And that's good. But we just need to realise that, that social friendship bridges don't save people. Hearing and believing the message of Jesus saves people. And somewhere along the line, if, if we want to help people to become a disciple of Jesus, they actually need to hear the message of Jesus. So let's learn from Paul's example here. He, he sat down and he began to speak to the women who had gathered there. He spoke to them. He spoke to those who God put before him. What was the effect of him doing this? Well, we don't know the effect on all of those who were there. Maybe some ignored them, maybe some sniggered or even ridiculed them, maybe some believed. What we are told is about this one woman, Lydia. And what we're told there, look at verse 14, says, One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. Uh, this woman was uh, from Thyatira, which is a city in, in Asia in between Antioch and Troas. First thing we know about it. Second thing, we, we know she was a dealer in purple cloth, uh, which was a, a special rich commodity. commodity. If you remember the, the, the uh, story of the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus told, the rich man was clothed in purple. He lived in luxury. So it's likely that Lydia was, was quite well off, which is confirmed by the fact that she had a house uh, which was big enough to it soon became the meeting place of the church. We see it by the end of chapter 16. So she's from Thyatira, she's well off, and thirdly, she's described here as a worshipper of God. That is, she's a Gentile, she's not a Jew, but she worships the God of the Jews, which is presumably why she's at the place of prayer on the Sabbath. Well, what happened to this God-worshipping purple cloth dealer from Thyatira? Verse 14 says, there's beautiful words, the Lord opened her heart to receive uh, to respond to Paul's message. Paul went, Paul spoke, but it was the Lord who enabled her to respond, to believe the message and to put her trust in Jesus. Now, this is a simple but profoundly important truth for, for disciple-making. 
God is the one who opens hearts. He's the one who enables people to believe. Becoming a follower of Jesus is not merely a matter of getting the right information, the right understanding, and it will, if we just got the right information, if we just get the right preacher to, to say it right and, and to explain the gospel clearly, well, then people, they will accept and believe and they'll become followers of Jesus. It doesn't work like that. It takes an act of God to open someone's heart to respond to the message. If you are a Christian, which is the case for many, that is, if you've responded to the message of the gospel, if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, then that is only because the Lord in his mercy has opened your heart. And the same is true of others. If we want others to come to trust and follow Jesus, that will only happen as God opens their heart to respond to that message. Now that has some, uh, some important implications for us. Uh, I've got five here, and there's room on your outline if you want to write them down. They'll come up on the screen. The first implication is that central to disciple-making must be prayer. We must ask God to open people's hearts to respond to the message. Uh, He chooses to work through our prayers. As we pray and ask, he chooses to to answer our prayers in that way. Uh, We've got these little 316441 cards. They're a great tool for helping us to commit to pray And ask God to open people's hearts. Let me encourage you to do that, to pray. Pray for people. That's central. Secondly, if if becoming a believer ultimately depends on God, God opening people's hearts and not on how clever I am as a preacher or how comfortable we make people feel or which evangelistic outline we use. Well, that means that God can save anyone. God can save anyone he chooses. God opened the heart of Saul, the great Christian killer, and transformed him to become his chosen apostle. God can open anyone's heart. Which thirdly also means that if you are holding back from trusting Jesus because you think that somehow you're not good enough, you actually need to get over your pride and realise that it's not about being good enough. None of us are good enough. It's not about us. In the language of Ephesians 2, left to ourselves, we are dead in our transgressions and sin, following the ways of this world, following our sinful nature, following the evil one, facing God's just condemnation. That's our default state. We're dead. But God in his mercy, because of his great love, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead. It's it's by God's grace in opening our hearts that any of us are saved. So I want to say, if God is stirring within your heart to respond to Jesus, don't resist it and don't incorrectly think that, well, I'm somehow not good enough. Fourth implication the fact that it's, it's God who opens people's hearts to respond, it doesn't take away our job. It doesn't mean that we don't need to speak the message. I mean, God could use whatever means he, he likes, but he chooses to save people by opening their hearts to respond to the message of the gospel as others tell them that message. Our job is to speak. God's job is to change hearts. Lastly, the, the, the fact that salvation is, is God's work, 
Well, that should encourage us. That should embolden us. We don't know who he's going to save and, and who he won't. But let's keep sharing the message with as many people as we can in the expectation that God will open the hearts of some. Those five little words, the Lord opened her heart. They're profoundly important and they have a lot to teach us about making disciples. Last thing I want us to, uh, to consider this morning is, is Lydia's response. Look at verse 15. We see how she responded. It says, When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Uh, that is, Lydia immediately and wholeheartedly threw in her lot with Jesus. It says she and her whole household were baptised. Now, baptism is symbolically saying my sinful nature has been put to death with Christ and I've been cleansed, I've been forgiven, I've been raised to new life with him. I'm trusting and following him. Lydia was baptised. And then she, she gave her all to help Christ's mission. She, she opened her home to Paul and his companions. Come and stay at my house. Now, as a Gentile woman... She may have felt the need to, to persuade a, a bunch of Jewish men. She may have expected them to be hesitant for, for cultural reasons. But she had the knockdown argument. She said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, well, of course they do. I mean, they've just seen her converted. They've just seen her baptised. Well then, as a fellow believer, allow me to help you. I have a house. It can be the base for God's new church in Philippi. Lydia is a model for us of, of wholehearted commitment to follow Christ and to help others to do the same. And we can learn from her. How can we wholeheartedly throw our lot in with Jesus and his mission? Well, it's my hope and prayer that, uh, that these few verses, speaking of Paul's beginnings of his mission at Philippi, that that, that would stir us up to similarly wholeheartedly embrace the mission of Jesus that he's given us, to be his disciples and to make disciples, to think about it, to plan, to be deliberate, to have a strategy, but then to entrust ourselves to God, to share the gospel with whoever God puts in our path. And most of all, as we do all of that, to pray that God would open people's hearts to respond to his message. Let's pray now and ask that God would help us to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy to us in Jesus. We thank you that even though in our nature we are dead in our sins, that in Christ you have made us alive. You've forgiven us, cleansed us, called us to follow Jesus, to be his disciples. Father, please help us and use us in your mission to call others to salvation. Please give us opportunities to tell others the gospel. Uh, please open their hearts to respond, to repent and to trust and follow Jesus. Father, please move us, change us, grow us, equip us, we pray, to be your servants. And may we, like Lydia, give our all to serving you in your mission in this world. Father, help us to do this day by day as we live our lives to follow our Lord and Saviour Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen.